0: Hi, this is Ben Lola back to the Bible Canada. Today we're continuing in our series in Philippians called The Fellowship of the Gospel and we'll discover a lesson on the theme of living with joy. So let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 verse 10 to 14 with Dr. John Newfeld.
1: The story is told of a man who came to his pastor for counseling. He felt convicted because he had not been giving in proportion to his salary. You know, the man said, when I was making $250 a week, I had no problem with tithing. Now I make 10 times that, and I can't get myself to give the same percentage. It just seems that the amount is so large. Could you pray for me? And The pastor thought for a while and said, sure. And so he prayed, Heavenly Father, please bring this man back to $250 a week. You know, every once in a while, I hear people saying that all the church ever wants is your money. You know, I find that comment interesting because I've never heard it said, all the grocery store ever wants is your money, or all the car dealership ever wants is your money. You know, for years, I would drive by a major casino in our area every single day, and I'm pretty sure all they ever wanted was people's money. You know, money's an interesting thing. Jesus talked about it a lot. In one-third of the parables he told, he in some way addresses the idea of money. Most of us are well acquainted with the account of the rich young ruler and the account of Zacchaeus, the tax collector from Jericho. According to Luke 19, after his encounter with Jesus, in verse 8 he says, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. You know, Jesus talked to people about money not because all he wanted was their money. And the reason he talked about money so much is because he was interested in dealing with the internal condition of people. And Jesus said in Luke 12:34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So any preacher who does not speak about money has not the slightest interest in the hearts of people. I know some of us might not yet be convinced. We still think that all Christian ministries want of us is our money. And all this talk is just deceitful. It will all come down to the same thing. So let's have an honest conversation about money. Of course, back to the Bible, can't stay on the air without donors. And of course, your local church can't pay for your pastor's salary and turn on the lights and heat the building where you meet for worship without money. Unless God's people become generous, Christian ministry fails. And for Paul and his partnership with the Philippian church, a fellowship to bring the gospel into the heart of the Roman world, money was required. And early on in this series, we saw how gracious and generous the Philippian church was. Paul describes them in 2 Corinthians 8, 2-4, when he said, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief for the saints. You know, we can see that Paul was deeply concerned for this church, that they were giving beyond their means. He tried to discourage them, explaining they had done enough already. But in response, the Philippian church begged Paul not to turn them down on account of their poverty. Why should their financial difficulties stand in the way of this grace called the grace of giving? And so when Paul described the Philippians, he described them by putting two virtues together. The first was abundant joy, and the second, extreme poverty. Both of these terms were an accurate description of their life. So yes, the church and other Christian ministries cannot function without the generous donation of those who give. That's a fact. But I also know that God could rain down money from heaven, and so bypass the need for donors at all. But when we only speak about need, we're missing the fundamental thing that Jesus spoke about. Money, and how we use it, whether we stack it up in a big heap somewhere and hoard it, or whether we spend it on matters we don't need, or however we use it, is an accurate diagnosis of the state of our heart. And today, I want to help you diagnose your own spiritual condition. We're all well aware of a medical doctor's diagnostic tools, including things like MRIs and blood tests and urine tests and even a blood pressure monitor. None of these tools cures anything, but it does tell the doctor how you're doing, what the condition of your health is in. Each one of these tools is vital. And so today, I want to apply a diagnostic tool to your own spiritual health. That diagnostic tool is your bank account your use of money as it relates to your pattern of giving. If you believe Jesus, that your treasure will tell you the state of your heart, well then let's begin. Today I'm not calling on you to give, I'm simply asking you to allow your finances to diagnose your spiritual condition. We will do this as we examine Philippians 4, 10-14. I've called this address living with joy, knowing that sometimes money contributes not to our joy, but to our grief. Now, I know that some of us might be thinking of the grief that comes when we're not able to afford some of the things that we need or want. But as Paul reminded Timothy in in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, Paul knows that an unhealthy lust after money, well, it's altogether destructive to the soul. Money can, like sex, be the cause of fidelity and faithfulness and love, or it can destroy every last moral and spiritual impulse in your being. So let's talk about living with joy in the presence of our money. You'll remember that what gave rise to this letter was that Paul was in prison, and in Roman prisons, the need of the prisoner had to be provided by family and friends, And when the Philippian church, which was in Greece, heard of Paul's imprisonment, they sent one of their own, a man named Epaphrodites, a member of their own congregation, to risk his life, journey about 1,300 kilometers, arrive in Rome, and give Paul the money that the Philippians had raised to meet Paul's basic needs. This money was an expression of their partnership and was no doubt given in conditions of poverty. So as this book draws to a close, Paul expresses his thanks. Let's read our text, Philippians 410 to 14. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Now, from this text, Paul tells us something of his thankfulness to the Philippian church for their generosity, but he also tells us, us who read the text today, how Paul personally dealt with the issue of money. So let's take this paragraph one step at a time. First, notice once again in this amazing book, Paul is expressing his joy. It's hard to read this book and not see this theme. In 1 verse 3, Paul explains that whenever he prays for the Philippians, he's filled with joy. Later on in the first chapter, he explains his joy over his imprisonment. Not that going to jail makes him happy, but he's joyful that as a result of his imprisonment, the Roman imperial guard has heard the gospel and the Roman church is proclaiming the gospel more fervently than before. Paul is joyful that his imprisonment is producing such results. And he goes on to say, he will be even more joyful in the future as he anticipates standing before Caesar's tribunal and giving a defense of his ministry activities. He is joyful for the amazing opportunities he is given. Were it not for his hardships, such opportunities would never have been his. So in chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says that when epaphrodites showed up with money to care for his needs, he was joyful all over again. Paul's imprisonment had allowed for him and the Philippian believers to revive their partnership in the gospel. The money was a sign of their spiritual health, a clear indicator that they were still on track. The Philippians had given themselves first to the Lord. You know, the word revived comes from a Greek word, which means to again be put in a position that one was previously in. So when Paul sees Epaphrodites coming... It was just like the early days of their fellowship in the gospel. It made him absolutely sure that the relationship they shared was as strong and as vibrant as it has always been. That doesn't mean that Paul doubted the strength of their partnership. But as he states in verse 10, the Philippians had no opportunity to express their partnership. After all, How should their partnership function while he was in prison in Caesarea or through his earlier difficulties when he was first taken captive in Jerusalem? But when Paul landed in prison in Rome, suddenly, the opportunity of sharing a partnership again became possible. And Paul saw this, and the gift, when it showed up, showed him just how enduring their fellowship actually was. And when we come back, we're going to see that money really can add to our joy when it is used in the way that God intended for it to be used.
0: What is the relationship between our attitude towards money and being joyful? As we begin to unpack these verses, we do see an interesting parallel in how we spend our money and how it has a direct correlation to our spiritual health. We must make sure that what we have financially does not become the source of our ultimate treasure. After the break, Dr. Neufeld will help us understand how Paul models a godly perspective on money that will encourage us today. What a time in history. In one sense, who would have imagined? In another, the Bible suggests that we should expect such times. In either respect, it is certainly a reminder of those things that matter most, our love for God, our love for family, and the calling each of us has as children of God to share the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the mission of Back to the Bible Canada, and we're so grateful that as a result of so many people across the country who give so generously that this mission continues. So thank you. Your commitment to giving allows this Bible teaching ministry to sustain its programming every day. So coast to coast, to each of you, we express our gratitude and please be assured every gift of any amount is so appreciated. To know more about the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada and all the Bible teaching resources available, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: Previously, circumstances had not allowed the Philippian believers to respond to Paul's need. But now things have changed, and the minute they changed, the response of the Philippians was immediate. The Philippians had been thinking about Paul, and they were concerned for him to the degree that they did something about it. Look at it this way. How concerned are you about food or clothes and heat in your house? Well, you're concerned enough to take your hard-earned resources and apply them to those things, and that's precisely what our giving communicates. It communicates the level of our concern for what we actually value. Remember, I said that our money is a diagnostic tool, and the beauty of this diagnostic tool, just like a heart monitor, is that it tells you what's going on on the inside. So here's your assignment. Look over your spending in the last month or, or maybe the last quarter or even the last year. That is a perfect assessment of what you value. The giving of the Philippians is a statement of what they valued. And for Paul, that assessment led to him having a great deal of joy. So let's carry on in the passage. What Paul does now is model his attitude to money in response to the Philippian gift. In verse 11, he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, on the one hand, this seems like a lack of thankfulness, like thanks for your sacrificial gift, but I hadn't needed it. The statement, if read incorrectly, can make it seem like a sacrificial gift, plus the sending of one of their own over 1,300 kilometers in which he almost dies in the effort wasn't necessary. And after all, I would have been equally content if you hadn't sent it. But that's not how we should read the sentence. After all, Paul has already told them in the last verse that he rejoiced greatly, or it was a cause of great pleasure and satisfaction when that gift came. It came at the right time, and it was deeply needed. So what is he saying? Now, if we read him carefully, we'll see him modeling an attitude. If he were to be left without resources, or if he were to be in a situation where he might not know how the next bill is going to be paid, he will still, in spite of extreme need, find himself to be content in his God, knowing that God's grace will always be there for him. You know, at this juncture, it's important to note that in Paul's day, there was a Greek school of philosophy called Stoicism. For these philosophers, the issue of happiness dominated much of their thinking. The wise man, these philosophers taught, was immune to life's misfortunes. They could face all difficulties with a calm nature through self-control and overcoming destructive emotions. So to this day, the idea of Stoic calm means that a man or woman can control their emotions even in difficult situations. And the Stoics believed that contentment was the greatest of all virtues. So knowing that, you might read what Paul is saying here and wonder if he's just repeating the philosophy of the Stoics. But he really isn't. What he is saying is very different from what the Stoics said. That's because for the Stoics, contentment is the virtue that makes you independent of all things. You don't have to rely on anyone. But Paul has already expressed his joy in the fellowship he enjoys with the Philippians, and he has expressed both his need for them and their need for him. Paul is not self-contained like a self-contained Superman who shows no emotion at all. He has both joy, and he is grieved beyond what he can bear when he faced the possible death of Epaphrodites. Rather, what Paul is expressing is that he will reconcile himself to God's plan for his life, even if God's perfect will means that his physical needs are not being met. He refuses to live a money-centered life. For him, gospel ministry is first, and that's why he shares what he does with the Philippians. If they gave to Paul out of their poverty, that's what they are saying as well. They are not money-centered, but they are gospel-centered. Now let's move forward to verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, it's very difficult to read this sentence and not think of an earlier one in this book. I mean that sentence that so perfectly characterizes the mind of Christ. In chapter 2, verse 7, Paul says, But he that is Christ made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. I think that Paul, so wonderfully followed Jesus' example, thought that social status was not important. Obedience to the Father was important, and keeping his eyes on the glory to be revealed, that was important. This present world, with all its pleasures and tragedies, were passing away. Valuing this world is like valuing the Titanic. It will soon sink and disappear and never be useful again. So that is the secret that Paul had learned. He learned that when Christ was stripped of every earthly solace and nailed to a cross and spat upon him and slandered by men, that just then, Christ was standing on the precipice of his great moment of triumph. He was going to be given a name that is above every name. How then could Paul have thought differently about this world than his master had? Sitting in his jail cell, not sure how his basic needs were going to be met did not take away his hope. The secret of facing hunger with contentment is to, like Jesus, value only the smile of the Father, and to, in faith, never take his eyes off the prize. But did you also notice that Paul had to learn the exact opposite as well? He needed to learn to be content when he had an abundance. Like my example of the man who couldn't get himself to tithe when his income increased dramatically. Or like the person who suddenly finds himself or herself wealthy beyond imagination. How is one to be content in that? You know, years ago, a young man showed up in my office and told me, I'm a multimillionaire." I said, congratulations. But in truth, I really didn't know what to say or where he was going with that. And then he told me a story. He was working for a tech company that was unable to pay him, so they paid him in shares. And the shares had suddenly increased so dramatically, he was launched from not being able to afford a very modest apartment to being worth millions. What should he do? You know, I said, sell your shares now, and then come back, and I'll put you in touch with people to show you how to live faithfully and very generously with much. And he said, well, I can't do that. The shares will rise astronomically. And that was just before the tech stock bubble, when all the shares in these companies actually crashed. And it turns out, when he had an abundance, he suddenly became discontented and wanted more, and hell, he actually ended up with nothing. Now, look at verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I know this text gets repeated over and over again, and some people have made it their life's verse. What concerns me is not the verse itself, but how we abuse it. See, for some, this verse means I can become the president of my firm or my company, or I can win that Olympic gold medal, or I can afford that new house, or I can score that winning goal in hockey playoffs, or I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, context is everything. What that verse actually means is when I'm poverty-stricken and have nothing— And all men speak ill of me. I can live through even that experience with joy and contentment, knowing that Christ and the reward he promises is more than enough. I can live through any difficult experience, whether broke or well-supplied, and never take my eyes off of Jesus. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nothing can steal my hope, and nothing can steal my confidence in my hope. Even money can't do that. And with that, Paul ends in verse 14 yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. He's touched and joyful when in need his partners in the gospel opened their wallets and cared for his needs. And so let me try to apply this. Are you living with joy? Or are you always lacking in joy because there are some things you still want? Can you learn to say, were it not for what Christ offers me, I would be of all men and women most to be pitied? Are you content in him? or is the diagnostic tool of how you deal with money and giving, showing you that your spiritual life is desperately sick. You know, tomorrow in the last of this series in Philippians, we will see how giving and hope in Christ is what you and I desperately need the most.
0: John, I wouldn't be telling you the truth if I didn't say that, you know, this is an area of my life where I've struggled a bit with contentment. And, you know, we see messages constantly. The media is relentless in respect to telling us that we need something new or we need something different or we need the newest phone. And yet the one we've got is only like a few months old. How do we find contentment in this type of world that we live in?
1: Yeah, I do think that part of marketing is to create a deep sense of discontent in every single human being. So, as long as discontent is constantly being manufactured, we're going to be buying more things. Now, and some people have been saying that, you know, this is one of the most demonic things of television or the mass media in that it creates this thing within all of us. I think that Jesus is not asking us to find our needs too great, but I think they're too small. I mean, we need to get a deep sense of desire for the things of Christ that are greater than our desire for material things. We're going to desire something. So the question is, what is it that's going to be the major issue of our hearts? Shall we desire Christ and gospel advancement, or shall I desire something that I might not need but is very materially based. And so uh, I I don't want to just bash people on over the head. I want to create this hunger, this sense of desire that says, man, if Christ and his gospel were to be made known, I'd want that more than anything else. I think that overcomes the sense of greed that we have.
0: I hope that this message has made an impact in your walk with God. As we're reminded of what it means to ground our joy in Christ, no matter what financial difficulties or situations we face. Be sure to join us tomorrow for Dr. Newfeld's final message in our series, The Fellowship of the Gospel. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. I hope you've enjoyed today's Back to the Bible Canada message with Dr. John. If you have, I want to encourage you to check out a new weekly video Bible teaching program featuring Dr. John that can be viewed on backtothebible.ca or by visiting the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. And if you want to receive notice each week of a new episode and receive the accompanying study guide, you can sign up online. The first series presented and can be viewed in its entirety is Hope in Dark Times. And Dr. John's second, and new series based on Revelation chapter one to seven is entitled To the One Who Conquers and has already begun. So check it out now at backtothebible.ca or on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. For more information or to support the ongoing ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, would you call us at 1-800-663-2425 or donate securely online at Back to the Bible? dot C-A